friends, it's fantasy football season, and you know what that means. It's time to sign up with our good friends at FanDuel. FanDuel, great sponsor of the show. It's fantasy football for everyday fans. New contests starting every week. No busted seasons. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just a buck. Nice and easy to join. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use the promo code Jonah. Again, FanDuel.com, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Click the Join Now button and use the promo code Jonah. And welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Glad you could tune in. Today's guest, it's hockey season, so we got to talk with Ron McLean. Ron McLean, who I watched in my youth and watch in adulthood, and he has been doing Hockey Night in Canada and various iterations of hockey shows on Saturday night for a long, long time. Uh, you can follow Ron on Twitter, at Ron McLean HTH, and he also has a great book, which is called Hockey Towns. And I have had a chance to read a much of this book, and it's very entertaining. And, and so is the idea of hometown hockey, which Ron has been involved in, the idea of kind of pursuing hockey stories within the hinterlands of Canada and going around the country and all that good stuff. It's been great. And, of course, Ron, uh, best known for his chemistry with Don Cherry, uh, doing the Coach's Corner segment in the first intermission. It's been great. And this was a great conversation, truly, truly. I mean, yeah, we talked about hockey, but there was so much about life philosophy, and this guy is be the best read guest that I've had before. I mean, I just, I took 10 book recommendations from him, uh, after our conversation, really, re really interesting chap. And, uh, I very much enjoyed this. We got a chance to do this conversation in Toronto a little while back and I was saving it for hockey season and it is hockey season right now. So best of luck to your favorite team. If you're a hockey fan and if you're trying to get into the sport, it's a lot of fun. Center ice is cool. You can check out the Tampa Bay lightning or whatever it is, uh, that might strike your fancy. I hate to say it, uh, cause I'm a Montrealer, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are very good and they're very entertaining this year. So if you're just picking up the sport, you're a newbie. Uh, yeah, that could work too. So yeah, my Montreal Canadiens will continue to frustrate me until the day that I die, but that's my own problem and I'll handle it. But Ron is great. And I think you'll really enjoy this podcast with Ron McLean. Here you go. That's it. We're already recording. How are you, Ron McClay? I'm great, Jonah. I am thrilled to do this. I was telling you, I listened to Justin Trudeau's podcast you did, uh, and I'm going to spend the whole hour trying to listen attentively. That was his life tip. Yes. Listen. There's always. I've always said that. There's two teachers in the room. Uh, but his was so good, and uh, I've heard a few of the others that I thought, what is mine going to be? And I still don't know, so I'll try to focus, but <laughs> it's kind of in the back of my mind. Well, and I would think that listening for you especially, that's... You know, particularly if it's a two-shot and you're with an expert of some kind, that's arguably your largest role is that particular one. But even in other times, interviewing so-and-so on the sidelines and all that, do you think that listening can be God-given talent the way that a slap shot or a jump shot could? Or did you learn it from your parents? Or did you learn it as a result of becoming a journalist? How does one do that when it's so important to you? Well, I haven't mastered it, I can tell you that. Yeah. I, I truly believe it's like biorhythms. 
Uh, on the days we're creative and quick, uh, it just is there. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of days, uh, in spite of the preparation, in spite of the sleep, it's just not there, and it's inexplicable. Uh, so I've kind of come to accept uh, I'll have good days and bad. I, I really, you know, like all questioning, it's kind of like lawyering. You don't want to ask if you don't know the answer, because to probe properly, to actually hold somebody to account, yeah. you need to have the background, you need to have done your research. But that, I think, equates to getting a little bit distracted during the course of the conversation because you're thinking, darn, I know there was some really important or significant aspect to this that I, I, I've got in my mind, but it's not there right now. Right. That happens all the time, and I wish I could shake it. Uh, but a good interview, it, you know, when, when I have had interviews that I think really went well, it was because all that information was right at the tip of my tongue. Hmm. Oh, follow-ups and all that's going to work, too. I yeah, you, too. if you are listening and if you're, you know, you should trust yourself. I, I know, you know, that's ultimately a lesson uh, in this business. There's a, there's no substitute for authenticity, for mm-hmm. uh, being genuine in a conversation. Uh, but I still, uh, you know, and I, I've said this, you know, Shirley Najak was one of the producers I worked with who had a lovely way of saying it. When you work with a red heart, which is a good heart, yeah, uh, like it'll go fine. When you work with a black heart, which means you have an axe to grind, you're on a mission to... Uh, get at something. Those are the ones that, you know, karma seems to get you. Hmm. Well, and I, I, everybody has their own personal philosophies, and one for me is B+. Plus. I'm okay with B+. Plus. Yes, uh, me too. There's uh, so many reps in life that B+, plus is fine. Yes. You, what you're referring to is C-, D, D+, plus day. So you come in and you're just, whatever it is, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, something's wrong, you know it's going to be C- minus at best. How do you grind through that? Whatever your your vocation is, because I think that all of us are going to have C-minus days, and they could be scary. As I went along in my career, uh, I've always read a lot about ethics. Uh, You know, I've read Alex de Tocqueville, Democracy in America. I was always trying to to understand uh, what a role would be for a broadcaster or somebody in the media. But then I got kind of fascinated, uh, after I was sort of the political science junkie, maybe early in my career, one of my big disciples was Lewis Lapham, Lewis H. Lapham of Harper's Magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, he wrote a book called Democracy, Lights, Action, Democracy, uh, and it was just about freedom of the press. Uh, but now I'm I'm really fascinated with uh, the great thinkers. So Harold Bloom, as a Shakespeare critic, wrote a book, Where Shall Wisdom Be Found? And this all ties in with your idea of B+. I'm writing this down because yeah. I'm just constantly looking for something. So Bloom, he, he took in the first chapter Homer and Plato and compared them. The greatest chapter in the book for me is when he compares Cervantes, who wrote Don Quixote, to Shakespeare. Hmm. And in that chapter, he establishes uh, that true wisdom is found in conversation. Yeah. How, uh, in Shakespeare's case, maybe the greatest example would be Prince Hal, Henry V, in conversation with Falstaff. And when they would debrief, there was incredible pearls of wisdom. In the case of Cervantes, who simultaneously was writing over in Spain, wrote the very first novel, Don Quixote. And that's about a retired teacher, a 70-year-old a little bit eccentric and maybe going a little bit senile, who wants to be a knight and do chivalrous deeds. And he has his the squire. dream. That's right. Yeah. So he, he has Sancho Panza, and they go out and tilt at windmills and do all these crazy things. Uh, but after the uh, hijinks, they come back and they debrief. And then all of a sudden, it's an educator and a guy with street smarts, farm savvy, and the conversation turns brilliant. Uh, but... After this book's complete and you go through all the comparisons of St. Augustine and you name it, uh, his sort of pearl is wisdom is knowing what to overlook. Wisdom is knowing what to overlook. So that means you don't have to have A+, that perfectionist in you. 
needs to be mitigated a little bit by an understanding that you're going to have to overlook hmm. some things. I like that very much, and it's, it's affecting, and it's uh, prompting my mind to wander a little bit. Um, I want to get into, I, I mean, I do this with every guest, but I want to get into your background a little bit, and I know that you were, you started early when it came to, you weren't necessarily broadcasting for CDC, but getting your voice on air was an early thing. How early was it for you in terms of ambition, in terms of, yeah, this is clearly my path, or did you just happen into it? This seemed like, a, being a DJ in high school seemed like a cool thing to do. Well, for sure, I was always sort of the uh, public speaker in my school, the class okay. clown, the president of the students' union. I did work on the high school radio station, was captain of all my hockey teams, all, not bragging, but that, you know, I seemed <laughs> to be the gregarious, outgoing oh, kid. I was I an only child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I had no ambition, Jonah, to get into broadcasting. I couldn't see myself... Oh. There, I was going to be a teacher. That was my aim. At the end of grade 12 in Canada, in Alberta, you finished at grade 12. I was going to the University of Alberta to pursue education. And then, you know, divine intervention. A buddy of mine in high school who worked on that high school radio station also was moonlighting as a operator at CKRD Radio in Red Deer. And his job was at the top of the clock at an FM radio station, which was a CBC repeater station. Mm -hmm. They would pause for station identification. And believe it or not, this is before automation, so they needed a kid, paid $3 an hour, to flip a lever, press a button that would play an 8-track style cartridge, which said, this is CKRD, 99.9 megahertz in Red Deer, Alberta. Then he would flip the lever back up and rejoin the CBC. He was sick. He couldn't go in one day to perform <laughs> this amazing feat. So he said, phone Ron McLean, a buddy of mine, and... Uh, that meant I would get a nine-hour shift of $27 and get to see what a radio station looks like. Yeah. And I jumped at the opportunity. And it, honestly, Jonah, it just kept snowballing. They got us to read a newscast at midnight on this FM station. There were four high school kids kind of rotating through. This is 76 through 78. And uh, I was horrible, but I was probably the most competent of the four of us. <laughs> and they eventually, you know, thought I was responsible enough that they got me to DJ on the all-nights on the AM operation, spinning records and doing public service announcements, and it just snowballed from there. And I, I had horrible anxiety issues, just terrible fight-or-flight uh, anxiety. From the, from the gig or in general as well? From the gig. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of happened to me for the first time. Uh, I remember I was going to interview... Uh, a guy from a garden center, stupidest thing. A, a guy was coming in to spend about a half an hour talking about plants and <laughs> gardens and lawns. And just as we started, maybe because I just felt ill-prepared, uh, I had an anxiety attack. And I remember battling through that, you know, that breathlessness. And then I would go on and do the TV weather. The, eventually, the noon to four, whoever was on noon to four on radio would have to be the TV weather presenter on the supper hour news. Mm -hmm. CKRD was a tri-entity, FM, AM, and TV. And the noon to 4 a.m. disc jockey was always the TV weather presenter on the supper hour television news. And I would do that, and they would throw to me, and I would realize, okay, it's Ron for six minutes, nowhere to go. And live. Sort of went live, and it would hit me. You know, I'm, I'm, this is me for the next six minutes. And honestly, I was 20 years old. Yeah. Probably a bit too much dope or beer the night before. Uh, yeah, I had some terrible times. and So I, I did it. I, I remember the joy, the just amazing joy of sunrise and a good song and the weather's going to be great today and the feeling I was making somebody's day. Mm. So that, that jumped at me and grabbed me right from the beginning is that uh, without seeing their reaction, because it was radio, without that sort of immediacy uh, of instant feedback, I still kind of felt in my mind, I'm just about to play uh, Spyro Gyra morning dance. It's going to be 30 degrees in the blazing sun today. It's Saturday. What more could you want? 
and I'm the guy that gets to tell a person that. And it felt uplifting to me, and I wanted it to, to be my career. So I somehow paddled through the anxiety, and things kept going. I have a fascination with jobs that are very specific and very limited that people have. So in your scenario where you're talking about the person who flips on the station ID once an hour, I assume that person does nothing else. That's literally their vocation for 59 minutes and 58 seconds. They sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Time to do it again. My favorite one of those is when you watch the Olympics during, uh, especially Summer Olympics, the guy who pushes the canoe off the side. Not only do I assume they do nothing during the Olympics, I assume they literally do nothing for four years. They're waiting for their big moment to push the canoe off. They make 60K. They have, you know, wife and kids or, or, or husband, whatever it is. And that's all they do. So I'm imagining that this is the case, that that person just does that. And you know why they want to push the canoe is because they want to be, uh, you know, by uh, extension, a part of the whole experience. Yes. I wanted to see what How a How can I get station, in in the smallest you know, possible way? All that music I listened to, you know, I would listen to Casey Kasem's American Top 40, which used to come in the 70s on vinyl discs. So, I mean, everything amazes me uh, as it does, I think, those of us who are my age. I'm 57. This is all pre-social media. This is pre-fax, for God's sakes. This is pre-computers. Uh, as much as my parents went through an incredible industrial revolution and a technological, yep. a technological revolution, I've experienced a crazy sort of uh, gamut over the 40 years. And So I go back to just the joy of, uh, of a record, a vinyl record, and placing the needle on and, and just looking at a, at a needle pulling this music out of a piece of plastic with the same fascination I watched a 747 overhead. Hmm. Did you have latitude as a DJ to just play anything that you wanted, and it was basically no, the Ron show? No, it was programmed. Ron? We were an okay. adult contemporary, uh, sort of middle of the road was how it was described in yeah. those years. So soft rock would be the best way to describe so it. So BTO is like really pushing the limits, I guess? We rarely got a BTO song yeah. in our uh, cycle. Uh, Van Halen, I remember, danced the night away. I was allowed to play after 6 p.m. Nice! Night, you know, so the night got a little <laughs> But the days were... Uh, Strictly uh, generic and uh, geriatric. Is that how... I mean, was the love of music always... You know, we're sitting here, you're wearing a Tom Petty shirt. We were just yeah. talking about the Tragically Hip as we walked up. We all like music in some ways, but yeah. you strike me as a little bit more than the average bear, that you are a consumer, that if you can, you know, you're in Winnipeg and you can make it to the show, you're going to get there. Uh, how did that come to be? Well, my mom loved music. Uh, she sang in the choir. Uh, I have vivid memories. We were Air Force, so we moved all over Canada. And I was born in Zweibrook in Germany, lived in Metz, France, and then... But those are in my first two years of life, so I remember nothing. Mm. Uh, but I do remember my mom loved to sing. Um, she was a big fan of, uh, she's a Cape Breckner, Nova Scotia, so she was a big fan of Catherine McKinnon, who was a Maritimer, and John Allen Cameron, and lots of music filled our home. She would watch him sing every Sunday evening. She watched Don Messer's Jubilee. Dad went along with it. He didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't have quite that bug. Um, but yeah, I was just fascinated with uh, music. Uh, I certainly loved, uh, again, the, the radio idea. I, I have vivid memories of when... BTO, since you mentioned Bachman Turner Overdrive, yes. uh, when they released Not Fragile, <clears throat> Robert Lamb of Chicago said that's the greatest rock and roll album ever released. Wow! And I felt such pride living in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, that Chicago's lead singer would give kudos to a Canadian band. And then I remember wow. in 1978, I had just started my career on radio, and Anne Murray won the Grammy Award for Best Female Vocalist, and she defeated Barbara Streisand, Carly Simon... 
Donna Summer and Olivia Newton-John. Holy moly! Heavy hitting. Murderers Row. That's right. Yeah. And I again had that. And I, I honestly, Jonah, I'm not big on nationalism. I, I did the entire Rio Olympics in 2014 as the anchor of the evening primetime telecast. Yeah. Did not show the medal standings once. Really? Not once, and nobody noticed. Uh, uh, because I don't believe in Canada vis-a-vis the U.S. vis-a-vis the Netherlands. Uh, I love, you know, gold medals, and I'll salute whoever wins. But I don't do it in terms of uh, our country is stacking up as uh, as strong or better than. I just So it's weird that I love Dan Murray winning over the others, uh, yeah. Australian and Americans. Uh, but I, so I have pride of, or, or love of country, gratitude of country, and uh, I think that just comes from because we're so spread out spread out up here it is always lovely to know that it can be done you know that uh, you can come from Spring Hill Nova Scotia and yeah. top the world in music I am f- I'm fascinated by the idea of going easy on the nationalism I mean I've now lived pretty much half my life in the States half in Canada I the Olympics are not necessarily my number one sporting event I prefer to watch a good hockey game a good baseball game whatever but when you do turn on the Olympics I mean in the States it is all about the nationalism to the point that the broadcasts are tape delayed, which in this era is bonkers to me. You knew yeah. what happened 12 hours ago, but it doesn't matter. And they're only going to show the supreme U.S. performance. There could be a Kenyan runner and just did something incredible, javelin throw, whatever it is. You're not getting anything else. And you said that nobody noticed. Does that mean that Canada has that as its essence, the idea of inclusiveness, that excellence is the most important thing? Are we all nicer than other people? Why no, is it that nobody cares? In fact, we offended everybody with our Own the Podium program. Uh, we had an Olympic uh, build-up to Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, with Own the Podium, and it was specifically designed to funnel money to those who had won. Yeah. Nobody gets a, a participation medal anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think it's a problem. I think it's a poor message. Uh, we had a little swagger or arrogance. Uh, in the last couple of Winter Olympics, we've done really well. And as television entities, both CTV, when they had their consortium of TSN, Sportsnet, and CTV, uh-huh. and that was Vancouver. And then CBC, when we did our thing in 2014 in Sochi, we were very much like the American model. We just followed the winners. Yeah. The, you know, the scent of victory, the wrapping yourself in the flag. So we're as guilty as the next country of doing that. But I'm just not a fan of it. I, I really, you know, Pierre de Coubertin, he was, he created the Olympics to try and battle harden the French. It, it's a, it was a crazy motivation, but he watched how the English were great at soldiering. He felt that it was the lessons of Rutgers and Brown and Eaton that had sort of emboldened athletes to be better soldiers. And he wanted to bring that to his country, Paris mm. and France. Uh, so his motivation wasn't totally pure. Uh, certainly there were gender issues with the movement, and the one thing I loved about de Coubertin, he understood that nationalism was wrong. He didn't want that medal standing ever to be a part of the modern Olympics. So, and I'm with him on that. It's, uh, you know, it's like the flag, uh, when you carry the flag in the opening ceremony, it's, it's really tough because you ask an athlete who's prepped four years to go stand on concrete and, you know, be exhausted yeah. the following day. It's, I suppose I understand why they decline. But I sure wish they would understand that that carrying the flag moment is the greatest thing because it's uh, 210 nations, uh, it's universality, it's humanity. You're part of something bigger than winning the next day. Uh, But, of course, who among us would forsake a victory, a gold medal? Hmm. I also want to get into the seminal sports moments and how they translate to Canadiana. And I, I was having a conversation with a friend recently about Etobicoke. 
Tobacco, if you're listening and you're not from the greater Toronto area, it is a large community outside of Toronto. I don't even know you call it a suburb. It's quite, it's quite big on its own. And that was where my first job was. I used to go in the summertime when I was a kid and I would stay with my dad and I would work in the area, especially as a teenager, I'd work in the area. And I got a job there at Subway Sandwiches. It was my first job. It was actually my stepmom's brother, so more or less my uncle who owned the place. I think it was the first Subway Sandwiches in all of Canada. And first of all, my uncle fired me because I was so incompetent because you had to, you used to have to cut the sandwiches a certain way, not down the middle, but you'd have to cut kind of like this. It's crazy. The I'm always amazed at how Very that. challenging. And when there's a lunch rush and you're 13, you have no motion regulation or frontal lobe, you got to scoop the tuna on. I mean, you're, it's a disaster. So I got fired. But one thing that I remember about that summer, we'd always have the radio on, on regular radio. And one day, uh, the radio's on, it's the lunch rush. And a bulletin comes over that Wayne Gretzky has been traded. And in the States, if Willie Mays got traded, if Mike Trout got traded, if LeBron, I guess LeBron maybe, but it's not as big a deal. When Gretzky got traded, the fact that they're cutting in as if something has happened to the prime minister, as if this is this deal, they printed t-shirts about it. I mean, it was just, you, you couldn't believe how huge it was that he was going from a Canadian team, it didn't even matter which one, it could have been Winnipeg, could have been Quebec, to an American team. Is it just that we're a smaller pond, and so this stuff resonates more? Is it that the U.S. is more broad in terms For of sure. the scope? I think that's it. Uh, you yeah. know, Gretzky has always said that himself after experiencing Los Angeles. There's the NFL, which, as you were discussing with Lindsay Jones on your last podcast, it has a spell over America. So I, yes. I, I feel like it is number one in, in and of itself, mm-hmm. Trump card right now. But the NBA's closing ground, for yeah. the reasons you and Lindsay discussed, uh, the ability to sort of showcase uh, individual celebrity, and uh, and it seems like their uh, ethos is more in keeping with social media world, you know, that look at me. Uh, yeah. You know, so that I see that as a little edge in marketing that the NBA is closing ground. Certainly think, you know, Wayne saw NASCAR, it's kind of fallen by the boards a bit, but everybody had their niche, uh, whereas in Canada, it's, we had the Expos and the Jays, and when the Blue Jays were in the running here the last two years, they became Canada's team, Huge. and it was big, yes, yeah. but, but we feel like we're hockey. We kind of identify, yeah. all of us, you know, uh, having said that, Jonah, when I'm with uh, Olympic athletes from other sports, Canadian uh, Olympic athletes, hate hockey. You know, there's a resentment from every other national sports organization that hockey is, you know, spoiled rotten and, uh, you know, I don't think it's, you know, fully embraced or loved. So there's, there's that tall poppy syndrome crops up, uh, but it's still our, it's our identity. It's our, our brand. And, you know, I think, uh, the, the guys who sort of hold the torch, whether it's Guy Lafleur, Jean Beliveau or Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, they all have to come with that certain... And I, I think you kind of hit on this with the NFL Tom Brady's of the world or the John Elway's or the Peyton Manning's. They all have that same kind of way yeah. that, that we certainly like, uh, I think, in Canada. And I, I think mainstream America likes that too. Yeah, the tall poppy thing is real, though. I mean, it really... We don't love self-aggrandizement. It can, it can be thrust on you. We could declare Sidney to be the best, but he can never say that he's the best. That's right. And, again, like, you know, I try to, sometimes I'll end up in this kind of philosophical conversation with an American friend, and I mean on a, the most micro level ever, and I'm Q level compared to that, but 
I'm in the business of self-promotion. Here is my article, here is my this, here is my that. That is so counter to what, I don't think my parents taught it exactly, I don't think my teachers taught it, it's just all around you. Well, I think it boils down to the art of loving is every bit as complicated. You have to love yourself in order to properly love others. Uh-huh. But the minute you are obsessing about yourself, the minute it's what about me in the equation, that begets possessiveness, uh, that begets so many ills. You know, the, the whole, and this is kind of my tips on life probably, uh, but <laughs> the whole essence of uh, you know success in our business, even though we are self-promoting, even though we are yep. trying to, uh, it's to think of the other. It's to let your guest be the star. And I, I don't think there's a uh, sort of a philosophical or religious, whether it's secular or spiritual approach that doesn't sort of understand you need to get out of yourself and into the service of another to really take the pressure off, to really be content. Mm-hmm. The minute you, but so it's a, it's a conflict. In life, it's a conflict. Uh, in order to love yourself, you have to uh, set some ground rules about your behavior, about your discipline, about your you know, circle of friends, all these you know, things that seem very selfish. Uh, and... In tandem with that, you have to go out and uh, offer yourself to others and, and sort of be a good uh, servant. So it, it, who can figure it out? Who can figure it out? Speaking of, what was the first time you met Don Cherry and what did you think of him? I loved him. from uh, The first time I met him was uh, 1986, uh, the first telecast. I had seen him. You know, I looked at him at the then Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, and I liked him on television. I liked his, his way spark um as a habs fan i of course appreciated the uh, yeah he yes. was good to the habs thank you for that <laughs> uh, too many men on the ice so don uh-huh. cherry's bruins got a too many men on the ice penalty that allowed montreal to dodge a his forward. arms outstretched thing speaking of seminal moments in canada versus the u.s i think don cherry arms outstretched on the bench literally might be as uh as emblematic as nixon's farewell yeah. gesture i mean that's how big it was but that was not in uh, uh, response to the too many men on the ice. Oh, it wasn't. That was in response to Jean Rattel, a perennial lady being trophy candidate. Yes. One of the most gentlemanly, decent men that ever played hockey. He took a penalty in the second period of the game, and that's when Don Cherry stood up on the bench and put his arms out and said, I mean, can you believe this, folks? <laughs> if that doesn't tell you the fix is in. Uh, Jean Rattel gets a penalty in game seven. Are you kidding me? That's what that was about. Nice. Uh, but I, I met him uh, for the first telecast, and I remember the producer, Doug Sellers, came to me and said, Ron, when you do the Coach's Corner tonight with Don, two things. Don't let him dictate the subject matter. Hmm. And I thought, what? you got to be kidding me. I'm going to tell the guests that, that you know they're not allowed to talk about what they wish to talk about? That wasn't going to happen, uh, even if I had to bluff with my bosses. And the second thing they said is your eyes tend to wander up and down. You flit a lot. They flit a lot when you're interviewing guests. And I thought, oh, good God, that's an affectation I wasn't aware of. So I'll try yeah. to rivet my eyes on Don. And I remember as I did the interview, I was really concentrating on having my eyes fixed. And a tear welled up in my left eye, streamed down my cheek. And Don Cherry's looking at me thinking, good grief, is this kid going to ball? <laughs> and I got hey, to you're like it. 26, 7 years old. 26 years old. Yeah. And Don, he covered for me. And so, Jonah, that, that, he, he made up uh, answers to questions I was only uh, sweating about. You know, he, he really just took the bull uh, and really took my hand and got me through that six minutes. Mm. So I knew whatever, you know, bombast there was a good heart behind it and and it's always been that way with don he he's very much you know the first guy to say uh, there can be only one wolf with its tail in the air and that's got to be me that's how this has to work i have to be the powerful one in the mix i have to be the alpha male and he tells me all this you know and 
And you know, I don't mind it one bit. I uh, refereed, again, in my theory of service to one another, uh, I just think it's the best thing in my life to, uh, it's, I, I pray that I have the self-confidence to know it's no skin off my nose if uh, Don beats me up, bullies me. You know, there's a time when you, you need to not be a victim and you need to, but as you know, Eleanor Roosevelt said, you can't be a victim unless you choose to be a victim, and I've never felt that way. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is a good role model as it gets, by the way. Yeah. Looking for a better way to play fantasy football? FanDuel has you covered. FanDuel, an excellent way to get into it. It's fantasy football for everyday fans with new contests starting every week and no busted seasons. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from. They start at $1. You pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score real time. More than 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. By the way, FanDuel's other sports, too, if you are into fantasy hockey, basketball. All these new seasons are starting up or about to start up. Also, a lot of fun in the DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports Format, particularly on FanDuel. Sign up today. Very easy. Go to FanDuel.com. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Click the Join Now button and enter the promo code Jonah. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which is more than $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com. Sign up with the promo code Jonah. That's FanDuel.com. Promo code Jonah. Thank you to FanDuel for sponsoring the podcast. I wonder also about your reactions. I mean, it's 30 plus years to hone it and to figure it all out. And it might be just because I was a little young to appreciate it. But as I got older, I thought to myself, nobody is better at the little jab than you. That that was, that you couldn't, if he said something that was inflammatory or, or ribbing or whatever, you couldn't come back over the top at him because... Number one, I don't know that that's your personality. Maybe it is, but it no. didn't seem that way. And number two, that certainly wasn't your role. Maybe when drinking. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? But so the idea of coming in is just tap. And he knows. He can feel it. He knows. Yeah. We all see it. But it was so well done. Is that your regular personality or is that that's, that has to be my persona when I'm with? Well, no, I, I, I certainly don't affect a personality or a persona. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, you know, again, I, I was telling you the red heart, black heart thing I'm very conscious of as I'm working. Yeah. I, I, as I've grown older in my job, I've, uh, you know, generosity is really king. I just, I really want to, uh, and it was a, a lesson given to me by Wayne Heinrich in Red Deer, Alberta in 1983 to let your guests be the star. So it's not like I created this idea, yeah. but, uh, when I'm on my game, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm allowing somebody to shine. Uh, when I'm not on my game, I'm stepping into the spotlight and trying to rub them out. <laughs> uh, so I, I just, you know, try to remind myself going in over and over again. But again, I have good days and bad like every other human being. It's just uh, sometimes the excitement of the subject matter overwhelms and I want in. Uh, you know, we don't agree. Don and I don't agree on labor issues. He's definitely pro-management. I'm pro-labor. Yeah. We don't agree on uh, nationalism. He's very much a patriot. We're get into that. Yeah. yeah I'm, a, I'm just a, you know, one of whatever we are now, eight billion. So we have our differences, and I think that's the old opposites attract. I think we mm-hmm. do connect on a lot of levels, though. We both like to just drink beer and watch sports uh, at night at, back at the hotel room. We'll just throw a dozen beer in the garbage pail with ice and water and some peanuts and watch baseball games or hockey games and that's as good as it gets you know mm. who could beat this we always say well the nationalism thing and again part of it was i was a little too young to appreciate it but you get older and stuff like 
you know, this is, I think especially this is the caricature of Cherry from Critics, is so-and-so is a floater, so-and-so is a grinder. Why is this? Because this guy's from Finland and this guy's from Flin Flon. And, and I didn't really get it, and then I got it, and I thought, should I be offended by this? Is he a bad guy? Is he playing a character? What's going on here? And, first of all, I don't, I imagine that he's not a bad guy. I don't think you'd want to work with him for 30 years, but how do you, you want to diffuse this situation, but you also don't want to step, if he really believes that, you can't say, right, you're uh, full of it, Don. Right. Like, I mean, do I, do I agree with Donald Trump? No. But right. do I want the system to change because I don't like Donald Trump, let's say? Uh, no. You know that, that you have to you have to accept. In Canada, we went from a steeper, Stephen Harper prime minister who was very much conservative, uh, possibly the most conservative prime minister we've ever had. We, yes, Canadians have ever had. He's certainly one of them. Anymore. And uh, yeah. and then we get Justin Trudeau. So it's yin yeah. and yang. You know, and I accept that over the course of time, there's going to be B plus. Yeah. To your wisdom, so uh, yeah, I, I love. I don't want uh, Don filtered, uh, censored. I, I just think make a better argument. And I know that. There isn't really the time to make a better argument. That is a problem. Yes. So once in a while, I've done a blog to try and state my case. If I, can't, you know, if I'm really frustrated that there was no opportunity to sort of counterbalance that particular point, and it, you know, it is a dangerous medium. I can remember being in Dryden, Ontario, visiting a high school to do the uh, keynote speech at the Ontario High School Hockey Championships, and a young boy came up to me and said, "Mr. McLean, would you sign an autograph for my brother Jeremy?" and I signed to Jeremy, your pal Ron McLean, and then the guidance counselor from the school was standing there, and he said, well, Todd, don't you want an autograph for Mr. McLean? And Todd says, oh, no, oh, no, Don Cherry's a man, Grapes is right, get rid of the foreigners. Oh, boy. This is a little kid. Saying, Holy moly. You know, so I realized it's like a beer hall push. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm very, that's why I was telling you, I read a lot about ethics. I've read just so many books on uh, on ethics to try and understand how to finesse and Mm-hmm. You know, coercion isn't the answer. Uh, as I said, censorship's not the answer. Art is the answer. Entertainment, uh, you know, that's why in the NFL all these protests uh, going on from the players, you know, we, we lost our way. Rock and roll back in that sort of halcyon era of the hippie in the 70s, the idealism that was starting to flow as we solved... Neil Young! No, yes. Ohio. You know, so oh, yeah. when, when, when that was good uh, and we were good... Yeah. Uh, it was very valuable to have different people sort of uh, chiming in. And that's that's why if Neil Young gets to chime in, well, then so does Don Cherry. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Well, and hockey, too, and you mentioned the podcast with Lindsay, different sports elicit different reactions, probably largely because of the makeup of the athletes. And NHL players, at least by reputation, are farm boys are just... It's well, not, that not anymore. That. The, the socioeconomic model of hockey has changed dramatically. How's the, how and why? Oh, every player that's playing now has had uh, prep school opportunities. They've mm-hmm. gone and immersed in hockey. Okay. They're very specialized. Mitch Marner threw out the first pitch of the Blue Jays. I'm not knocking you, Mitch, but yeah. he's a Toronto Maple Leaf kid. We call him the magician. Just an amazing player. little hockey player. Yeah. But he, it's like he'd never thrown a baseball in Wow, really? Yes. I'm sure Mario could throw it in 80 with curve or whatever. Back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, it's only, uh, honestly, Jonah, it's like in the last five years that the mix of uh, skill development, nutrition, uh, everything has, again, advanced at warp speed. Uh, it's like Connor McDavid's playing a different sport than Sidney Crosby grew up in. Yeah. And Sidney was playing a slightly different game than Mario played. Uh, it, there has been quantum Gretzky release. probably played baseball and did this and that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's why, you know, you were at the conversation, why is it we only have 18 
great NFL quarterbacks or legitimate quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, in hockey, uh, that that step up in the speed of the game, taking the red line out, we've made a few little wrinkles uh, affect yeah. the speed of the game, but it's very fast. Your mind has to keep pace. Uh, it's just very challenging. But, you know, what, the, what separates the NFL and the NHL from baseball, although you do see it in baseball with the, you know, pitcher, throwing at the batter. Yep. Uh, we certainly have a very physical game, as does the NFL, and that is one of the uh, you know, uh, control mechanisms. Uh, if you start to hot dog or showboat in hockey, uh, there's a chance you could be hit and have a career-ending concussion or yep. some other you know, catastrophic injury. So that kind of holds you to account a little bit, this idea that I better not agitate and go beyond, because if I do, I'm inviting disaster. And you don't, well, there's two things here. So uh, closing that loop, on the political side, NBA players might be inclined to speak up or do a certain thing a certain way. On the NHL side, if the players are apolitical, is it because they are so heavily trained to understand the odd man rush that they don't even have time to consider the political No, nope, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I think they're both, uh, you know... Here again, uh, the example of uh, Sidney Crosby seeing Al McInnes of uh, Nova Scotia win the you know, Stanley Cup and mm-hmm. have a great career, let Sidney know it's possible. It, it's, it's always like copycat crime. Yeah. Once it starts, uh, the culture of a, of a certain way seems to take hold. So I, I think that's all it is. I think you know, as long as Sidney Crosby and Tom Brady are leading the way, subdued will be the path. You're right. Uh, and we don't know what Connor is yet. He's a kid. No, he looks like he's following in Sydney's okay. steps, though. He, he just bought a home in Newmarket, Ontario, his hometown. He went out and played street hockey with the neighbors. You know, he's he's a regular guy. Uh, you know, it just feels like he he understands. He's been very gracious in how he said, "I'm not the best player in the NHL." Sidney Crosby is. Mm-hmm. We all know that, even though he won. McDavid, the heart trophy is. McDavid's just a giant. He, how can he be that fast and that big? It is like LeBron. It reminds me a lot of LeBron. Who, Connor? Yeah. McDavid? Oh, he, yeah. Uh, he, he, that's a, that's Mario's a, the other big guy who was fast and that skilled, but he's not that fast. It was never No, that gosh, big. no. Uh, the, uh, yeah, he, he, Crosby is extremely fast, uh, so I would put Crosby close. Uh, but Pavel Burry is the only other guy that I can recall. I loved Pavel yeah. Burry so much. He had the I same. feel like he got lost in the sands of time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a wonder, and he had that fast twitch, uh, you know, two steps and he's gone. Yeah. Uh, so Connor, yeah, he's, he's gifted. He can do it. Uh, he could skate that quick. And, you know, Bobby Orr in his day would have been by comparable the same kind of, uh, he would have had five gears to the rest of them having two. Shakespeare, who I love, you know, a little bit, um, 21,000 word vocabulary when his contemporaries had 2,000. Yeah. And that's how it is with Connor McDavid's speed right now. And, and that's how it was with Bob Yor's speed. How has the game progressed since you, I mean, we're talking 30 plus in the coach's corner. How has it progressed in a positive way and how has it progressed in a negative way to you in that time? Well, obviously, you know, intimidation will always be a part of the game. But mm-hmm. I thought it got to be too much a part of the game in the 1970s. Don, you know, he had John Wensink. He had guys that just terrified. Uh, the Flyers were a tough team, but Don's Bruins were absolutely O'Reilly menacing. Guys, Terry O'Reilly, yeah. Stan Jonathan, Wayne Cashman would kill you as soon as look at you. Bobby Schmutz would carve your, you know, subway bun perfectly. Uh, I love the names to Bobby Schmutz. Yeah, what a great name, huh? Uh, They they were tough. And and maybe, I mean, I didn't 
dislike them. You know, I don't have a problem with a skier going 200 kilometers an hour down a hill if that's what they want to do. And I don't mind uh, Ayrton Senna, uh, you know, God love Ayrton, yeah. uh, you know, taking that risk. Uh, yeah. If that's what you, if everybody, you know, agrees, if there's consent uh, and you know the risks, I don't mind that the game was what it was. I really admired the Bruins of the 70s and the Flyers of the 70s. But I did feel, in my own youth, I was terrified. I was really afraid to play midget hockey because of the intimidation was at such a level. The violence was at such a level. And you're a medium-sized guy. And I was a medium-sized guy, just scared skinny. And it's too bad that a game I loved so much, and I still play to this day twice a week. Yeah. You know, I, I knew right there and then I just wasn't cut out for something that scary. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad the game is a little less scary. It just feels like the players now are uh, are gentler souls, whether you know we've become that kinder, gentler society, which I think is good. I, I really do. But, you know, it's funny, Jonah. Uh, I just attended Eric Lindros's concussion syndrome at the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario. Yeah. And the speed of the game has, of course, resulted in far more serious head injury issues than we had back when they were punching the lights out of one another. Yeah. So how do we fix if that? Let's say that's the major ill in the game, which I think you could argue that it is because you certainly don't want anybody to get hurt. How do we get there? I mean, you know, maybe football's having the same argument that it's just, that's the beauty of the game. It's wonderful to see somebody talented and, and it's exciting, you know, but we don't want I think I think the uh, the answer they had at the session uh, yeah. at the concussion symposium. So Chris Nowinski, who played in the NFL, mm-hmm. Harvard uh, grad, who ended up being a professional wrestler and has started a great program in Boston. He works with Dr. Mm-hmm. Robert Cantu at Boston University, mm-hmm. and they do the brain bank and they study CTE. And uh, he has become a spokesperson for all the measures that I think are important. One of them is youth sports, no hitting in any sport till you're 14. Uh, once you get to the professional level, then it's just a matter of protocols, uh, making sure the athlete is taken out of the game uh, at the right moment. So we had a moment in our Stanley Cup playoffs where Sidney Crosby twice had head yeah, hits, yeah. and uh, he stayed in. But Crosby's contention is that he had neck issues, not concussions, when he went through his uh, year and a half out of hockey. Hmm. If that's true, then... Maybe he had no problem when he got hit in the head here. But so those are those are the only strides that are important is to is to continue to do the research. I mean, the CTE link is uh, it's like connected to ALS. It's connected to so much that we want to be. I think the National Hockey League should be a good partner. So throw a million dollars toward the uh, research. Um, I think the NFL has to do the same. You know, all these sports just continue to research the subject and. Be very careful about pulling the athletes out of uh, a situation where danger is clearly around the corner. I um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan and have worked with uh, Greg Wyshynski and Dave Loza. They have a great podcast of their own, and they love hockey. They really love hockey. They're Americans who absolutely love hockey, but they don't love the NHL. They don't think the NHL does a good enough job of promoting their players. The idea of players not quite being banned, but more or less being banned from playing in the Olympics. They don't understand it. They feel that propagating the game makes sense. They feel that creating superstars makes sense. Connor McDavid should be a household name in Philadelphia and Los Angeles just the way that he is in Edmonton and Toronto. And they're critical of it. Uh, I can't say that I follow the day-to-day or workings enough to know, but do I guess do you find that to be true, that the NHL is not on it enough? And if no, they're not, then how do we do it? I, with all due respect to Greg, who I think does a fantastic job, mm-hmm. you know, when Gary Bettman took over in 1993, he came from the NBA. Yes. And they had benefited from Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. Let's call them the big three. And they certainly tried that model in, 
in the NHL. They immediately did all their advertising, Brett Hull in the St. Louis Blues, Wayne Gretzky in the Los Angeles Kings, and they always put the superstar first and foremost. But our sport's just not like the NBA, where hmm. Michael Jordan's going to play 40 or 48 minutes. You know, Sidney Crosby uh, will probably play 23 of the 60 minutes. Yeah, that's a big haul, too. Yeah, relatively. and it's just, you know... It's a team game, and I, you know, I, I we all look at uh, soccer. It's, it's growing slowly, but surely it's growing again. Uh, the score will be one nil or one nothing, and they'll say, "Who? Good God! Who would invest ninety minutes in watching that slog?" But if you watch it, uh, the sanctity of a goal, the scarcity of a goal, because scarcity is the way to riches. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, these are those are moments you'll never forget. When finally, after all that struggle. You know, like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Piercig was a book back in the 70s, and it was about a romantic and a classicist, two guys on motorcycles driving across the country, having all kinds of great philosophical conversation. But the biggest tip of all was, when they saw the Rockies after having driven across the Great Plains, it was a true wow. Had they jumped on an airplane in New York and landed in Denver... It's all right, but it's like flying over a lemon meringue pie, and now suddenly you're surrounded by the rocks. <laughs> you don't really get a sense of it. You need to have that long sort of lull, then the climax. So uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, low-scoring hockey, which is you know frequently mentioned, and I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with uh, being sort of egalitarian in your approach to promoting the sport. Uh, I, I, then when Crosby does his magic, uh, it's special. But if you you know Bruce Springsteen in his new book. He said uh, he went over to the U.K. for the first time, and they promoted the hottest act in America is coming, you know, and he tore all the posters down. He says, you do not tell them. You show them. So I like that. I, I like that hockey's kind of kept it clean. Uh, I didn't like it when they tried to promote the superstar. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't usually, but I just feel like you've had so many experiences, that I've got to do the standard interview question, which is to ask you about some of the greatest hits, because... Well, because, frankly, I just want to hear about them from a personal perspective, whether it's you and Don getting into particularly heated argument that you absolutely loved, whether it's you being on-site in Sochi, whether it's interviewing. I mean, you've had a chance to interview people on the sidelines that might be heroes of yours or what have you. You know, does the my I don't even know that my mind works that way if I say my top three things are I interviewed this person, this person, this person. But I'm wondering if maybe you have any of that. Yeah, I do. Um, I remember interviewing Karen Lee Gartner after she won a gold medal in downhill skiing at the Alberville Olympics, and her and her husband were on the set. And we brought in her parents from Tawasson, British Columbia, via telephone, and just the breakdown in the two of them, Karen and Max, uh, the tears, uh, oh. it just reminded me of, of, God, how lucky it is to, you know, to just be that human, to have that moment of... Uh, unbridled uh, honesty uh, and it, it was a it was a really great uh, moment that I'll I'll never forget and uh, trying to sort of stumble my way into keeping the conversation flowing and certainly had a few of those over the years where people break down and I had a lot of them in Rio last summer with uh, with the games um, mm. so those are those are moments when it's just you know you've you know that you've created an environment that felt safe for the interviewee that you feel uh very blessed. Um, I would say uh, Marianne Limpert won a silver medal in the 200 IM at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. Extremely memorable moment for me. She was an only child from Fredericton, New Brunswick. 
I'd watched her swim at the 94 Commonwealth Games, and I liked her style. She wore a black hat when the rest of the Canadians wore white. Mm. She had a little bit of a you know, presence to her, but she was not the poster woman going in. The poster woman was Joanne Millar, a Canadian swimmer who had won multiple medals at those Commonwealth Games. So she didn't have the pressure Joanne had. And Anyway, she almost won. She, she lost to Michelle Smith, a known drug cheat from Ireland. That should be overturned. Marianne should have a gold medal. But uh, Especially I, I, because we got the part end of that vote played in 1988. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, I keep saying we. Anyway. Yeah, good for you. I'm sure you pine for us sometimes. Um, yeah, all the time. No, but not all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that was a, a great moment on the pool deck. I remember it's the only time Joan and I was ever overwhelmed. Uh, I, I wept watching her swim that wow. last uh, 50 meters, and I just thought, okay, get it together, Ron. You're a professional broadcaster here. Mm. Um, you know, within the hockey uh, world, I've always said Bobby Clark and Harry Sinden are two of the most fascinating individuals I've ever spoken to. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's, you know, amazing. Uh, there's nothing Wayne hasn't sort of observed. He's just lightning quick. Very interesting. Scotty Bowman's stream of consciousness. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. So, I've heard lots of people talk about Scotty. Yeah, you get like an audience with Scotty. It's yeah. the Dalai Lama of the game, for sure. Uh, so I, I would put those probably as my, uh, you know, I've interviewed Muhammad Ali. So, I, you know, if I was a guy that's into photo ops, yeah. which I am not, uh, you know, I resented again, back to my nationalism, at the Olympics in Vancouver, they brought in all the medal winners, Canadian medal winners, for the the rap broadcast. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, kid from wherever that finished 16th, but it's the most amazing thing of all, that kid wasn't invited. You had to have a medal on your, you know, a laurel wreath to be allowed <laughs> into the elite uh, reception, but uh, those those ones I mentioned probably stand out most. Well, and and for me, again, we're talking about the Olympics. It's the youth of it that can be disarming. I I, I got a botcher last name, so I'm I'm going to uh, gently deflect Penny the, the uh, Alexiak. Ale- yes, from the beaches. Yeah, terrible moment for me. I interviewed Penny. Yeah, and I got uh, you know it's funny every Olympics there's a. Uh, a movement uh, attached, and at the Games of Rio in Brazil, it was sexism, and I just, you know, went in blind, uh, like, and that's a good lesson to me, you know, that hmm. uh, this was a particularly hot-button uh, sort of uh, activism that I wasn't uh, thinking about, uh, so I interviewed Penny Alexiak, and I tried to, she's 16 years old, yeah. so as you say, she's, you know, just a very timid, shy young girl, and uh, young woman, and I tried to... Uh, make her comfortable. I said, your brother, Jamie, you know, plays with the Dallas Stars, be a hero. And I just got blasted for, you know, can't she be celebrated for her own, you know, success? And uh, do you have to bring in a man? And uh, so I I went back a little resentful that, you know, good grief, it was just a sibling. And I was trying to make her comfortable. But it also uh, heightened my awareness. So, you know, yeah. God, we stumble into it on so many levels, right? We say the wrong thing. You know, I don't, I don't trust myself, Joan. I, that's why I read ethics books constantly to try and put the shackles on my, you know, sharp tongue or my uh, ignorant tongue, but no one's perfect. We talked about Peter Mansbridge as we were walking up, and it just, you know, it makes me realize I went to Concordia Journalism, and you talked about Marshall McLuhan, and there's certain shining lights in this industry that are always going to be influential, and for me, even though I've lived in the States now for an awfully long time, it's still a lot of the big Canadian names that register and, Mm -hmm. and what have you. Do you ever, I mean, I know that you're focused on the day-to-day, you're focused on, okay, how am I going to do well here, you're focused on ethics and so forth, can you even allow yourself to have legacy thoughts, can you even allow yourself to think about, I want to be the man's bridge of my field, I want to do this, I want to do that? No, no, God, no. 
No, I feel lucky to, you know, play, you know, as an example, uh, the best way I could sort of, again, everything sounds a little bit self-serving, but uh, when we sort of overhauled Hockey Night in Canada three years ago, and George Strombolopoulos was brought in to anchor, and uh, the idea there was we were going to be a little bit more about distribution television than destination television. Mm-hmm. We were going to be this, you can watch your Leafs on CBC, the Montreal Canadiens will be over on City, all these Rogers properties, and we needed a good, you know, uh, competent uh, circus or ringleader. George would be that. Perfect. Did it bother me? Not one iota. You know, I really? Was not one iota. I was uh, glad to be the fourth-line guy on the team instead of the first-line center. I did the coach's corner with Don, which is obviously still kind of iconic, yeah, and so you weren't good. going to lose your brand. Not that I gave a hoot about my brand. I know you said I could swear, but I just... Hoots! Uh, yeah. Easy, sir! <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went off to do Rogers Hometown Hockey, a community-based uh, little bit of, you know, shirts... Uh, Maybe a bit of a sentimental show, uh, but I love it. And, Those are uh, great pieces. Yes, yeah. and we have great stories. We just did four episodes of the best of hometown hockey. They're, they're really good stories. They deal with inclusion. They deal with ethics. They deal with so many of the issues that uh, you know hockey is a bridge to to navigating these problems. When when Canada, like the American uh, you know model, tries to sort itself out. Uh, our original slogan was peace, welfare, and good government, but everybody thought welfare sounded heavy-handed. Mm. That was government intervention, or it was somehow enabling those who weren't uh, pulling their weight to get away with something. So they plucked the word welfare out and went with peace, order, and good government. Which that's an authoritarian. That's, yeah. I mean, you know, everything uh, has a little bit of a pull to it. Yeah. Of the transition from the 70s into the corporate 80s, you know, and the greedy 80s. Yeah. Uh, so it's too bad, uh, but with with the with my life, uh, Jonah, again, it's just, it's right back to that initial sense of I'm going to get a chance to make somebody's day. Mm. Nothing more. Uh, and that was great for me in Red Deer, uh, great for me when I worked in Calgary, great for me working on Hockey Night in Canada or Hometown Hockey or the Calgary Stampede. It makes not a bit of difference where I get to, what's in it for the talent is the art of doing it. Nothing more. And you certainly don't think about, uh, you know, your, your legacy will always be like it is for you, your your children, your friends. Yes, yes. You know, those will be those will be kinds of legacies. I have no kids. Carrie and I weren't lucky in that regard. Lots of miscarriages, and then what? You know, we were always of the opinion, well, let's not adopt until we see if we can conceive and have a child. Yeah. And then I was forty five, and my career had gone crazy and traveling too much, and we just thought, I don't know that we can adopt. I don't know if we even know how to be a parent in the right. cyclone we're living in. Right. So that's how it happened for us, but. Nothing, nothing in my mind about uh, a place in history or a, a legacy. Those, those, I, I really struggle with awards, even you know the TV awards or any of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't accept them readily, and I don't mean to be false modest. It's just not in my nature to care. I just, I always pull into the parking lot tonight for beer league hockey, and I see myself in a nice Grand Cherokee SRT, and I see this beat up. 1978 AMC Pacer that my teammates driving and I think geez I wish we could split the difference hmm hmm god you are Canadian <laughs> I am um, I also and I have whatever I, I I can't help but have a little bit of myself in the show and I feel like I walk around with a constant existential crisis which is no it's good you, I, Jonah I was thinking okay. that when you okay, talked good. to Lindsay you know but it was in your maybe own I'm home. Canadian too no that's, that's yeah I think you have to offer something of yourself to create conversation because that's where wisdom's found yeah. if I don't sort of listen to you as Justin Trudeau advised then I don't have my own uh, growth so it's good that's fair so the question that I want to ask is and I've asked this of other guests too 
were in sports. Sports involve sticks and balls and pucks and whatever, and there are people dying and there are people suffering, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. And you said that you want to make people happy, you want to brighten their day and so forth. But I struggle with that. You know, if I have a good uh, stroke of the pen and I talk about the Blue Jays in a certain way and somebody says, yeah, I remember Lloyd Mosby, that's great. I feel a little bit better about my day. Is that enough? Or do I need to be going, well, let's say if it was a Canadian thing, do I need to be going to study First Nations issues and how that intersects with hockey? Because there are major problems in the First Nations communities. Can you just do a story about how Sidney Crosby's really cool and be personally fulfilled. Yeah, I, I think you can because it's like the city of big dreams, Montreal. Uh, whether it's Expo 67 or the baseball team or any one of a number of things that they did in the 60s in their, uh, the Olympics in 76, that sort of 15, 20 year window when they were the... Shall we drop out? Yeah. So, I mean, but they're all little microcosms of, uh, you know, of this bigger picture. So when sports was created, as I mentioned, the Olympics was to create a better soldier. They're all just a reflection of the uh, the hunt anyway, sports. But what they are, we, back in the day, before the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, and the French Revolution really was a big part of this too, when we had longer childhoods. Before that, everybody went to work as a 12-year-old. Suddenly, so the only time you had any kind of spiritual, secular reflection that would be considered uh, mindfulness was through religion, organized religion, where you could listen to, your heroes were the martyrs and the saints, and you could sort of examine your own world vis-a-vis theirs. But then with longer childhoods, we got that time to play, and sports just took a quantum leap. Mm. Uh, So now we have a new series of heroes that might be athletes, certainly the entertainment industry. We had a longer childhood time to enjoy music and movies, and so those people became heroes as well. But they're all cast from that same die, which is this idea of how do I compare? How do I rate myself and my performance, my life, versus someone else who's put into a pressure situation. They had to go up on stage and carry the show, or they had to go into an arena and perform the sport. That's all it is. And, and, there, and there's, there's tremendous lessons um, in, these, in these examples. So that is enough. And it, I, I was like you, Jonah. When I was your age, I said to you, I was reading political science. I was much more dialed in to what was going on because I was so concerned with ethics and, and you know, labor management might have been uh, labor management relations. Yeah, might have been what prompted that. Me trying to understand me why crazy. do we pay so much for these individuals in sports? And I did figure that out that it's market value, that it's about yes, in the seat yes, it is. is. And the owners are much richer than the players are. So. Which you know that model, that whole collective bargaining model is a joke, yeah. uh, because how are the players ever going to outlast? The owners, they can't. You know, I don't care. Like, and they're putting themselves in bodily harm. Yeah, they, they need to have maximum rights, and they have none. Uh, yeah, they, you know, they're they're in an unfair fight here in the collective bargaining model that we're using. And they have, un- and it's an unfair fight, even if they're making ten million dollars a year. Absolutely, and even uh, if they're famous, the, you know. The, Okay, so as you're listening to this, you say, well, they make a ton, and of course, but and you're saying, okay, well, bums and seats, I don't mind paying for that guy, but what about the other guys on the team? So then the other metric involved in marginal revenue product, which is market value, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, market values can be affected by things like uh, they negotiate, which is arbitration rights. Yep. Certain things can be wedges, artificial wedges that drive salaries up. But the second most important criterion is what would be the next best offer for their services. Everyone else in society can go to another job if an offer comes along that doubles their salary. Mm -hmm. This is the only arena in which you're not allowed that privilege or that right. 
to go where the next best offer for your services is out there. It's terrible. And, and they can't, like Bob Goodenow tried to get the National Hockey Players Association to bite the bullet and stay out for two years in the name of the greater good. It just wasn't going to happen. There was too many agents who were losing their cut, too many players who were fat and had made too much money. And the owners just sat back laughing at the fact that this is a fight the players will never win. Yeah. And that's why I don't like the collective bargaining as a, as a system. So I, uh, the only thing I can think that could work is if they somehow got together as four or five sports and aligned it up so that the CBAs expired on the same date. Oh, wow. And then the unions got together. There will be no sports if you don't play ball with them. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah. I have never thought about that. That, that was starting Imagine to happen. Imagine Crosby there with LeBron and with wow. the death of unions in uh, in general. Yeah, that has been you know consolidation has yes. been one of the ways that unions have tried to save themselves. Uh, yeah, the piano I, tuners with the steelworkers. Right. Wow. So I think that's the only, to me, the only way for them to ever pull this one off. Well, gee, that's I. Got to think about this for a while. Uh, let's do our final question. Let's do it. So you've had your hour. Uh, it's the life tip. It's the nugget of wisdom. It's the I meet you in a bar. And I, I did meet you in a social setting for the first time. Uh, and, uh, and I said, I'm Jonah. I'm Ron. And I don't know that we had that deep of a conversation. I think there might have been some beverages involved. But if you're describing yourself, if you're describing what it is that makes you quintessentially you, what do you tell people? Just uh, let your guests be the star. You know, you are uh, in the service of others, uh, you'll be content. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that, uh, you know, this what about me, that, that, that constant uh, equating uh, happiness or contentment to yourself is the trap. Uh, and, and I know for, as a broadcaster, as I said during the course of the podcast, any time I've sort of thought about how's Ron McLean doing, how, how do I appear, you know, uh, that's when I'm in trouble. So get out of yourself and into the other, uh, and I think you'll find contentment much more readily. Does that work in everyday life, too? Does that work in, I'm driving the car, somebody cut me off, I need to stop? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, that, that's, uh, again, you know, like hope and fear are, uh, they're, they're struggles with impermanence. So you, we get mad at that person cutting us off because it was a change in the expected path. Yeah. You know, we're hot at, at change. We're hot at uh, the unexpected. We're hot at failure. We're hot at death. Yep. Uh, these are all versions of impermanence. We struggle with impermanence. We, when we have a moment that we're enjoying, we want it to last forever. And as long as you're hopeful that that's going to continue, it's just the same as fearing. Uh, forget fear. Forget hope. Um, Start to accept. Start to just uh, say, well, lucky, you know, the car didn't get hit. Uh, I feel bad for that person's in such a frenzy that they're they're struggling right now. I'm not. Why should I suddenly carry their baggage? Yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, sounds Buddhist, I think. I don't know. Christian, my Mother Teresa always said, you want to help yourself, help someone else. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that's that's been the best comfort to me in my, because like you, I, I feel like I'm, I'm Meaning in life, right? We're all searching for meaning in life. Mm-hmm. Am I doing enough? Uh, am I doing it well? But that's asking about yourself, and that's a bit dangerous. Uh, it was a pleasure, Ron McLean, and I am uh, totally stealing your idea of writing a 7,000-word essay about how the unions... This is great. I mean, like, literally, I my mind has been blown. It's just a, I always enjoy these conversations, but not to the extent that I'm going to think about the conversation for weeks to follow. I will be thinking about this conversation. Me too, John, and all the ones you've done, so congrats. Thank you, sir.